uh, two passages of Scripture, our Old Testament. Uh, we'll read a number of verses later in the preaching of the Word. But uh, just to uh, introduce our subject and to see God's Word in, uh, in that, we'll read first of all from the Genesis chapter 12, and then we'll go to John 11. So in Genesis, we have repeatedly the Lord telling Abraham about his call and what he's going to do. And we know that uh, this is when God initiated it. And we know that it was uh, 25 years or so before Abraham saw some of the fulfillment of these things. Uh, But he did see other fulfillment of some of these things prior to that. Hear the word of God. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Those are great, great promises to Abraham. What might might he have thought when he heard all this? I'm sure it blew him away. All right, let's go to chapter 11. Chapter 11 has to do of John's gospel. It has to do with the the death of Lazarus. And I want you to know, notice here what Jesus did. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. So I introduced the subject or the title of the sermon a while ago about when God seems to be late. Uh, I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my life, this is uh, what I experience. Um, I'd like to have had a pastor here at our church by now, and I'd like to be in a permanent building where we are for worship and so there are times I will pray you know is this your work or not I'm convinced it is but anyway I don't always have the best attitude in the experience of our lives we may think that things are out of control we might uh, wonder why God hasn't acted about things 
If you're paying attention to what is going on in the news, you might wonder why does God allow the things that He allows? Why does He ordain the things that He ordains? Why hasn't God acted yesterday on things that we know cry out for justice? We look at what goes on in Washington or what goes on in Richmond and we take issue with all that's going on and we wonder why God has not acted to deal with so much that is unjust, so much that's evil. You may see this at work. You may see in school or at work people getting by with evil, people abusing others verbally, uh, people doing things that are just not fair. We know that uh, fairness is a relative term, but you know what I mean. Things that are unjust. There may be problems in marriages and family situations that you wonder why God hasn't acted on those situations, things you've been praying about. Maybe people you've been praying for for years. Maybe uh, dealing with some, in, uh, some illness, some aggravating illness, a chronic illness that keeps going on or in you or maybe in somebody else. Sometimes we may want things that God hasn't promised us, but they might still be good. There are a lot of things that we pray about that God hasn't specifically promised in His Word, but they might still be good things for us to have. And other times we do pray for things that we know God has promised, but He doesn't give them. He doesn't give them in the time that we want Him to give them. We deal with our own sanctification. We deal with our own sin that we're dealing with. We have besetting sins. And we know that Philippians says that He who began a good work in you will perfect it. He'll perform it. And yet, maybe year after year, we still are dealing with particular sins in our lives. We read promises made to us in Scripture and they seem to be postponed or delayed in fulfillment. A while ago I prayed about God giving us a pastor and you and I know it's God's will for churches to have a teaching elder and other elders and yet here we are without one. Yeah, we got a commission, and that's all well and good, but we don't have a we don't have a minister, okay? We don't we know it's not what we want it to be. And we know that God's design is ultimately for for that. We pray for wisdom about things that come up to us, and we still are confused about answers. James tells us to Pray for wisdom, and God will give us wisdom. And yet there are times that we do pray for wisdom, and we feel like we don't have wisdom. Okay, so God doesn't always work at our schedule. It doesn't mean He's not going to give wisdom. It just means he does not, He's not always on our schedule. I don't, 
I've always had this problem that he does not work according to my schedule. Now, you all may not have that problem, but it's always been a problem for me. We desire justice. I mean, how can, how can you and I not read the news or hear the news or see it on our computers or phones or whatever it is that we're looking at and not, and not cry out for justice, not cry out for God to deal with all the evil, much of it that's right against, right in his face. And so this is troubling for many of us. And I want us to get help today from the scriptures, just like I need that help myself. And to answer the question or to deal with the subject of when God seems to be late. The first thing I want us to do, though, is I want us to look at other people just like you and me. All right? So I want us to see that you and I are no different from other believers in Scripture. So the times that you are frustrated that God has not acted, the times when you wish that He had given you wisdom, that He had dealt with this person, that He had dealt with this situation, and He hasn't done anything about it, I want you to see that you're not the first, or you're not unique, or your situation is is ordinary in regard to what other believers experience right now in God's world and ordinary in what God's people have experienced throughout history. So let's just go ahead and take time to look at a a lot of these scripture references, but I want you to identify with this. If I just said to you, okay, you're like others, we're like others, that's not going to get it. I want you to see the experience, the feeling, the mindset of other believers. And uh, in Psalm 13, we begin here in Psalm 13, the first three verses. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. I mean, here's David. I I love David. Everybody talks about who they want to spend time with in heaven. I, I, I... I know David has his faults and all that kind of stuff, and that's usually what people think of first. But man, here was a man, here was a man who had an experience of God in his life. He lived out his theology, and he lived out the truth in his theology and all in so many of these psalms. But you see his heart here. He's troubled with enemies, <coughs> and he see you see how he cries out, "How long, O Lord? How long?" Why do you forget me? Why do you hide your face? God hiding his face, meaning that God is not blessing him. That's how he cries out. Look at Psalm 44. In Psalm 44, the psalmist is remembering past victories in verse 1. He talks about the things God had done in the past. Verse 4 He talks about God being his king. You're my king, O God. You're my king, O God. In verse 9, he talks about nations that had suffered defeat. And and in verse 17, he talks about how he is still 
trusting in the Lord. And then look at what he says in verse 23. Arouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul has sunk down into into the dust. Our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up and be our for the sake of your loving kindness. He speaks of God. Why do you sleep? You remember that? That was the thing that the the enemies of God said in in reference to Elijah, the, the false prophets. Elijah made fun of their God. Remember? Maybe he's asleep. And here... Here uh, the psalmist cries out as though God is asleep. Now he knows God is not asleep because he knows God is hearing him, but he prays this in figurative language because he wants God to act. I wonder if, if you and I shouldn't pray more like this ourselves. I mean, if if if, if we really do believe that God has called us as a church. If we really do believe that we need a pastor, if we really do believe we need a place from which to operate, if we really do believe all these things, do we do we cry out to God to arouse Himself? Do we ask Him if He's forgotten us? Do we cry out, rise up and be our help? Or do we just timidly go about our way and not call out to Him? in a real uh, fervency. In Psalm 78, the psalmist says, Then the Lord awoke as if from sleep, like a warrior overcome by wine. So what he's saying is, the psalmist is saying God really wasn't asleep, but he arose as though he had been asleep, and he came to their aid. Psalm 74. Look at Psalm 74, verses 1 and 2. O God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your inheritance in this Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Look at verse 10. Again he says, How long, O Lord, will the adversary revile and the enemy spurn your name forever? Haven't you had those people you've prayed about who were enemies to the gospel and enemies to truth and what was right that you cried out to the Lord the same way? Twelve, yet God is my king from of old who works deeds of deliverance in the midst of the earth. He still is going to trust the Lord. And 22 and 23, arise, O God, and plead your own cause Remember how the foolish man reproaches you all day long. Do not forget the voice of your adversaries, the uproar of those who rise against you, which ascends continually. All right, now let's just look at, let's just read through some scriptures. And I'll not comment. I just want, they're all in order. We can read them easily. We can find them easily. And I just want to go through these and read them to us and let us meditate upon them as they're read first from psalm 79 O god the nations have invaded your inheritance 
They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the dead bodies of your servants for food to the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your godly ones to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water round about Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scoffing and derision to those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath upon the nations which do not know you and upon the kingdoms which do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. This is teaching you and me how to pray. We're we're learning how to pray as we read these psalms. Look at Psalm 80, verse 4. O Lord of God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and you have made them to drink tears in large measure. You make us an object of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. O God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Now, somebody might think to themselves, well, you know what? I don't pray that way because I got it all figured out. You see, I understand all the prophecies of the Bible, and it's not time for God to bless right now and not God time for a God to make himself known. No, you don't. You don't know the mind of God. The mind and the knowledge of God must be going out to the nations. We want all nations. Go and baptize all nations in my name. Go and make disciples of all nations. No, this, your prophetic or anyone's prophetic knowledge is not against praying for God to act, but we pray for God to act. We pray for God to show His glory and to show His salvation and to exalt Himself. Psalm 83, O God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent. And O God, do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar, and those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, Come and let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. The people won't do that today. For they have conspired together with one mind against you. They make a covenant. People like that today. There's nothing new under the sun. Throughout history there have been times when all this mess has been going on. And and all throughout history and today we are to be praying for God to rise up and for God to act. Psalm 85 verse 4. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you and whose heart is a highway to Zion. I'm sorry, it's supposed to be 85. I'm still blessed. All right, 85, verse 4. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I'll bet you didn't know there were all these verses in here where people were always crying out for God to act like this. Psalm 88, verse 13. But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you reject my soul? 
Why do you hide your face from me? Don't you feel like that sometimes? Well, you can pray that. Psalm 89, verse 46. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember what my span of life is, for what vanity you have created all the sons of men. Verse 49. Where are your former loving kindnesses, O Lord, which you swore to David in your faithfulness? In Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 126. It is time for the Lord to act, for they have broken your law. But he, here's the psalmist is just presumes upon God. Hey, it's time, all right? It's time. It's time for the Lord to act, for they have broken your law. And then he um, prays against his oppressors right before he mentions all of that. There are other illustrations that we could go to. Back in Genesis a while ago, I read to you from uh, about Abraham. If you look at chapter, we looked at chapter 12, where God first gave these promises to Abraham in uh, chapter 12. And then in chapter 15, they're repeated. Now get this, okay? Put yourself in Abraham's shoes, all right? He moves you. He tells you that uh, he tells you that you're called of him. He reveals himself to you. He's going to make a great nation of you. He's going to bless you. He's going to prosper you. Other peoples will come to bless you, and they will uh, glory in you, and all these things. And so, from among God's people, we we uh, see this crying out. So Abraham, in verses, uh, in chapter 15, God says to him in verse 2, uh, Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And here's God's answer in verses 4 and 5. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir. But one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. This is a promise of God. So Abraham thinks, Okay, all right. But, you know, now you go to chapter 16 and Sarah and Abraham decide it's time to improvise. All right? God has not acted. Verse chapter 16, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. And so this is how some did see themselves as having children. And yet this was not of God. Now, 24 years later, 24 years later since that first promise was given, look at chapter 17, verse 1. 
Now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and you will make nation, and I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. This is almost laughable. It's, it's just almost laughable. When you consider his age and his circumstances. And then in verse 15 and 16. And then God said to Abraham, As for Sarah your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. I will bless her and indeed I will give you a son by her. And then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of peoples will come from her. How often in the course of 24 years did Abraham not ask God, what are you waiting for? How many times did he say, what are you waiting for? How many times did he and Sarah have sexual relations that they did not think this is the time? This is the time. Last night, that, that was the time. This morning, that was the time. Ever how many times, and every time they had sexual relations, they wondered, is this now the time? And they continued doing so. And what must it have been like for them to know the promise that God gave them for Him to repeat the promise, for them to regularly have sexual relations, and yet she never got pregnant. And all they do is they get old. And they get beyond the age of having children. And that's what they knew. And they of all believe certainly that God seems to be late. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 19 with Elijah. This is a real story with Elijah. You remember Elijah, I made reference to it a while ago about the about all the prophets of Baal and how he had them all killed and how he had a great victory over idolatry and false worship. And then after this great victory, after this great victory had won and, and Elijah had been so, so successful and just on top of the world, okay, then Jezebel makes threats against him and he runs away and he runs away and now he is ready to just uh, give up. In chapter 19 he says in uh, verse 4 but he himself went a day, it says but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Look at verse 9. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left 
and they seek my life also to take it away. God says, why are you in this particular place? And Elijah's answer is essentially, everything has come to nothing. Not just the ministry, not just my ministry, but all your plans and purposes, God, for your people have come to nothing. Elijah's attitude isn't so much that God is late, but it just isn't going to happen and things are at an end. But he was wrong. Or consider Job. Remember the misery of Job. All the misery that came upon him without any relief. Remember Job through that whole experience. Remember his friends that came to him who were not his friends. Remember Job kept asking, I want audience with God. I want audience with God. I want to make my case. He's impatient with God because God doesn't give him this audience. Why won't you let me make my case? Why don't you let me, why, don't, why, don't you, why can't we talk about this? And then God appears to him and he says, I wish I'd never opened my mouth. You, you are God. Um, I, um, I'm dumbfounded. Or consider Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are a great example of the providence of God and God not doing what is expected. Look at John 11. Go back to John 11 where we were. The time that Lazarus was raised. And Christ purposely, we read that. We, he purposely, he found out that Lazarus was dead. And it says, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He didn't rush over there. He didn't rush to see the family. He stayed two more days. The idea was that a body that was three days dead was really a dead body in that culture. And he was seen as really being dead. And look at Martha and look at Mary. Like you and I would respond. Martha in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, if you had, if you had been here, if you'd been on time, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Mary, the one who sat at his feet, she says the same thing in verse 32. When Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus appeared to be late. You see that? He seemed to be late. And then the disciples in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 23. But as they were sailing along, Jesus is in a boat. He's in a boat with the disciples and a storm comes up. And what is Jesus doing? But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. And they began to be swamped and to be in danger. And they came to Jesus and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves. And they stopped and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were fearful and amazed saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obeyed them.
Here, Jesus wake him up. And they ask him, don't you care that we're perishing? You see, in the Psalms, and in Abraham, and Elijah, and in Mary, and Martha, and in Job, and in the disciples, it's as though God is not paying attention. God does not see my situation. God does not understand how bad things are. God is not acting. Or if He is acting, He's not on time. He needs to have already acted in my situation. But they were all wrong. They were all wrong. And we know the purposes of God. And we know that they were all wrong. So the experience that you and I have is the same experience of others in the Scriptures. And I would encourage you, I would encourage us to pray like we see people praying in the Psalms to call upon God to act. But let's do the applications now and bring all this to a close. The first application is this. God is never late. He, it only seems that He is. Never late. It only seems like He is. That's how Mary and Martha saw it. They saw Jesus as being late when Jesus had purposely stayed on two extra days so that the glory of God would be revealed more. So the answer is that God is always on time. He is never late. It's just in our perception. Secondly, God is always fully aware and engaged with us and His creation. He is always fully aware and engaged with us and His creation. He remembers His own and is sensitive to our particular circumstances. Sometimes, like we read in the Confession of Faith, God is testing us to see if we will be faithful, to see if we will obey he tested Abraham. Are you going to believe my promises for 25 years? Are you going to believe me? And there were other ways he tested Abraham. Just in his personal safety. Abraham was get caught lying because he wasn't trusting in God's personal safety. God is sensitive to our hurting when Jesus did arrive with Mary and Martha, the scriptures say there in John 11, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply in spirit and was troubled and said, Where are you? have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, Behold how he loved him. All kinds of people conjecture about why Christ wept and all that. The fact is, he wept. He was touched by that situation. God is not unfeeling. I know that he is perfect and he is not affected emotionally like we are, like we are at times. He is not worried. He is not anxious and all that. But he is still intimately acquainted with us in our own individual particular situations so that the trials we go through, the battles we face, whether it be battles with sin or battle with people or whatever. He is sensitive to all those things. Thirdly, in times when God seems to be late or slow to act, it is always for good purposes. It is always for good purposes. Like with Lazarus, 
He waited on Lazarus. He didn't rush over there. He waited until everybody knew that Lazarus was really good and dead. Now it was time for the body to stink. Remember? He says, open up the tomb. And Martha, always the one who has solutions, just like Peter. It's not a good time, Jesus. It's, its body's already started decomposing. It started to stink. We have, we have in mind everything that God, we have advice for God. But what he does is, he shows that his good purpose, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to perform a miracle that others will be astounded at by raising him from the dead. Fourthly, be grateful for ways that we know God is purposely slow. Sometimes God is slow, not slow, slow, but I meant the Bible says the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. We read that this morning in Sunday school. Slow to anger. Don't you want God to be long-suffering with you and slow in that regard? I know I do. The Lord is gracious and slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Now, I'm going to give you seven things to do in prayer when God seems to be late. Seven things to do, and I'm not going to look up these scriptures. You can turn to these scriptures on your own and look these up. The first one is to humbly pour out your heart to the Lord. We saw that in the Psalms. Humbly pour out your heart to the Lord. You have permission to pray like people prayed in the Psalms. Pour out your heart. Be honest with the Lord. Be respectful. Be gracious. Be loving. Be reverent. But pour out your heart. He knows what you're thinking. Secondly, trust in the Lord's goodness with a thankful heart. Trust that He does have our best interest at heart. Even though to our appearance and our thinking it may seem contrary. Thirdly, Remember God's glory is your primary motive. God's glory is our primary motive. Our, our primary motive is not our happiness, but God being honored. It's not our comfort. It's God being honored. It's not our way, but it's God's way. That's, that's our primary goal in our prayers. It's God's glory, His name, His kingdom, His plans, His purposes. And so... This should be our primary motive. Fourthly, remind God of His promises. He's a covenant God. A while ago I prayed about churches that had become liberal and for God to remember His covenant promises that these churches be brought back, that there be revival and awakening. Remind God of His covenant promises to you. He promises never to leave you or forsake you. There's all kinds of promises in God's Word for us to remember in prayer. Remind God of His character. He's a God of justice. God, you're a God of justice. Deal with this enemy of your people. God, you're a God of loving kindness. Please hear my prayer. Please help me in this situation. God, you're a God of all truth and you're concerned about my situation. I know this is true of you. Give me wisdom in my life. Sixthly, keep praying. Persevere in prayer. Jesus said at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Seventh, resolve to praise the Lord in the future. 
because you know he hears and will answer. In other words, in your prayers, when you cry out, how long? When you cry out, Lord, it seems like you're asleep. When, it sound, when you cry out, Lord, you're hiding your face. When you cry out, Lord, why won't you act? Then you can complete your prayer like the psalmist does also and say, Lord, I know that you're going to hear. I know that you're going to act. I know that you're going to have good purposes in mind for me and my family and my church and for your kingdom and for your people. And so you can praise God for the future because you know that he is going to do good to you. The sixth application is never use your circumstances as a reason why it's okay to disobey God or to disobey the Lord because he seems to be late. Never use your circumstances as a reason why it's okay to disobey the Lord because he seems to be late. Abraham and Sarah decided that since God didn't give them a baby, they would, they would use Hagar and they would improvise. This same thing happens. There are Christians who say, well, you know, I, I probably shouldn't lie, but I just sort of had to tell a little white lie. No, 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 no. Keep your mouth shut. I don't know what you're going to do, but no. There are times that people refuse to wait for the Lord to act, and they sinned. Remember Aaron? And Israel, when Moses was gone, he didn't come back. He didn't come back when they wanted him to come back. And so they had to improvise and create this God so that they, would, they, could, they could worship and they could do all this junk. Israel in the wilderness, when they needed water and food, they, they had to complain. Saul, you remember Saul? Samuel said, don't you do anything until I get there. And Saul wouldn't wait. Or Paul's delay, uh, delay in God sending him to Corinth. And so the, the congregation attacks his character and they attack his work because he hadn't shown up. Christians grow tired of waiting and they decide to do their own thing. Their marriage is in a mess and so they get a divorce without a biblical basis for doing so. They're without the love of a husband or a wife, and so they find someone else. They're without love of the opposite sex, and so they seek sexual relations outside of marriage. They're without a plan for a pregnancy in their plan for their life, and so they seek an abortion. They're without a job that they want, and so they irresponsibly quit a job, and then they incur unnecessary debt. They're without the happiness that they want and they turn in a preoccupation to alcohol or drugs or sex or hobbies or sports or anything else to make them happy because after all, happiness is what it's all about. And finally, when you and I are overwhelmed with circumstances, try to concentrate on being faithful on faithfulness one day at a time. When we are overwhelmed with circumstances, try to concentrate on faithfulness one day at a time. Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
I think people who know me would tell you that I really have a problem with God not acting when I want Him to act. I'm always in a hurry for Him to act. I'm always in a hurry for things to get done. Many times it's not a matter of wanting Him to act this week. It's why didn't you act last month? And we have to be patient. We have to be faithful from day to day. We have to trust Him that He knows what He's doing, which is what He teaches us. Which is what He teaches us. I know that even in doing church planting in the second pastor that I was with. And things went slow for us. And they, they, they did have a pastor. And I was it. And they, things went slow. And yet I realized that what was going on was God, I realized this later, that God was forming a, a foundation upon which that church to build, for that church to build. It wasn't just going to be a bunch of people who were, you know, like, let's get together a softball team. I, I love to create things. It wasn't just some whim. It was people who were wanting to do something for, uh, for good and for time and for eternity. And that's what God does. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you are always on time. And we thank you that you're never late, and we thank you that you love us, and we thank you that we have that confidence. We thank you that we can come reverently before your throne. Like Hebrew says, we can come boldly, and we can pour out our hearts, and we can cry out to you, and that you won't write us off, you won't be mad at us and angry, and that you hear us, and when our hearts hurt, you, you, you feel that hurt, and you love us, and we thank you that you know the end of all things, and we thank you that you really are working all things for our good and for your glory. Now, Lord, help us to believe that, help us to pray that, and just because we know that truth, don't let us become lazy and not, and not still be seeking your face and earnestly seeking you to act in very visible and real ways in our lives, in the lives of others, in the life of your church and of your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.